0: it is with heavy heart that we approach you this morning this is an anniversary of sorts perhaps the the most visible Representation of our culture's foolishness, failure, lovelessness, hopelessness. We come together once a year uh, on Sanctity of Life Sunday, knowing that you in your might, and in your mercy, can change the hearts of a whole nation. And we plead for you for that to happen, Lord. Start with us first. Lord, change our hearts. May we, when we look at people, when we think about the lives of the unborn, when we think about our neighbors... And when we think about the homeless and we think about our opponents, Lord, may we see and remember the image of God. Bless our time in the word this morning, Lord. Give our, Open our eyes and soften our hearts so that we may grasp the meaning of your, your word. I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, last week, um, we had an opportunity to reflect on Christ's words as they relate to the image of God. We talked uh, at length about how the image of God means that we owe our lives to our Creator. We have been sent here on purpose, and... Christ calls us to render to God that which belongs to God. Namely, our lives and our time and our resources. But um, that is just the tip of the iceberg when we're starting to talk about the image of God. And last week we spent almost all of our time talking about what the image of God meant for your time. And what the image of God meant for the way you spend your money. And what the image of God means for the way you spend your attention um, but what we want to do this morning is I want to direct your attention to a number of passages that, um, that pivot on, the, on the, the idea of the image of God in warning and in instruction, how we ought to relate to one another. Okay, so I want you to turn with me to Genesis 1. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the question this morning, what is the image of God? And, and primarily, we're going to pivot around a number of passages in the first ten chapters of Genesis. But this notion of the image of God is actually woven throughout the Scriptures. I think Genesis is a great place to start. So I'm going to very quickly read three different uh, notable uh, passages in the first ten chapters of Genesis that will start to frame our understanding of what the image of God is and means. Okay, so... We're going to start in Genesis one i I'm going to quickly read the other two. And then we're going to jump back to Genesis one twenty six. So, first page, probably, maybe second page of your Bible. Read with me, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock... And over all the Earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the Earth. So God made image, made man, or God created man in his own image, in the image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them. OK, now we're going to jump ahead a couple pages to Genesis five. We're going to have a summary of the creation of man here. Um, Genesis 5:1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him. ...in the likeness of God. Okay, now let's jump a little bit further ahead to Genesis 9. Genesis 9, verse 6. We're going to start in verse 5. For your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man... By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Okay. So three instances in the first ten chapters of the most important book that's ever been written. Three major pillars around which we're going to pivot to try and understand what it means to bear the image of God. Okay. Now, I want to, at this point, draw your attention to An article that was written, no joke, by John Piper, no joke, 50 years ago. Which I was uh, uh, happy to have found. And his his article really uh, was a a huge help on the linguistic side. And so he wrote it when he was pursuing a dissertation. And it's available on the internet. And I just thought that was precious because 50 years. May we all be granted 50 years of faithful service to God. Um, Okay, so uh, we're going to jump back to, I want to reread Genesis 1 26, and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, now first I want to point out that nowhere in the Scriptures... ...do you find the words, this is what the image of God means... ...followed by several paragraphs to to comprehensively explain the notion of the image of God. I wish sometimes that the scriptures work that way... ...but very rarely do they answer all the questions we have about any particular thing exhaustively. However, throughout the scriptures is a theology of image... ...and a theology of the image of God that can really equip us to understand what this means the English word image translates the Hebrew word Selem. okay? Tzelem. Now, this word is all over the Scriptures, and you'll be surprised to find, if you're anything like me, where it's all over the Scriptures, okay? Because in, nev- in nearly every case, tzelem is used to refer to the idolatrous and forbidden physical likeness of a person or thing. Let me give you a couple examples. Actually, let me give you one example and then I'll list a couple examples in a follow-up article that I think you'll find fascinating. Um, the one example I want to point your attention to uh, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember this? Remember this scene? Uh, I, I pointed out because almost everybody who grew up re- reading Bible stories or hearing Bible studies, stories has heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Does anybody remember what they refused to do? Bow down to what? To a giant statue, right? A giant statue of the king. Anyone want to guess what the name... It's not statue. What does the scriptures use to explain what that giant thing is? Image. Image. Now that's just one crystal clear example of what we see about 38 times in the Old Testament, which is when this word image is used... It represents something like an idol. Okay? A physical representation of something greater. A physical representation of the divine or something mysterious. Let me give you another more abstract example. Uh, in the Samuel series, we talked about when the, the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember this? And, it, and it's paraded through the towns. And does anybody remember what happened in those towns? Tumors, sickness, right? And as a way to try and appease the God of Israel, they put the Ark of the Covenant back on the cart, and they put two brand new oxen, and they direct them to the people of Israel. And what do they include on the Ark? Golden representations of tumors, right? Anybody want to guess what words used? Image. Image. When people bow down to the idols of Baal, they bow bow down to the image of Baal. So in every case, nearly every case, this word selim is used to refer to the idolatrous and forbidden physical likeness of a thing, almost like a mystical, physical representation of a greater reality. Does that make sense? Okay, you're tracking with me. Now, there's two significant exceptions here. And those refer to non-physical representations of a person or thing, like a shadow or a dream. Makes sense? We tracking? Okay. So, I'm suggesting here that image in the Old Testament refers to a physical representation of something greater, okay? Image refers to a physical representation of something greater. All right, now look back at Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 26. Let us, this is God speaking, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Okay? Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. Now, I don't think those things are just in, like, just, just accidentally next to each other. Okay? I think those things are related. And I'm going to propose this morning that the image of God that is mentioned in Genesis 1, and 27 represents a commission to reign as an emissary, a physical representation of God. It is not merely a commission, but it is the tools to accomplish the commission. Okay? See what I'm saying? So when God says... I'm going to make man in my image. Okay? This is the only time "images" is mentioned in the entirety of the creation narrative. You've got the creation of birds and the creation of fish and the creation of beasts and the creation of creeping things. And all of these things are filling the earth. And then he says, stop. Let's make man. And what's unique about man? He's going to be in my image. And him being in my image means that he's going to have dominion. Okay? Over the whole earth all right so the image of God here seems to be a commission to reign as an emissary a physical representation of God the king now we get a little bit further here if you just keep reading in verse 28 God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth okay that's not very different than all of the rest of the commissions in Genesis 1 except it says and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, so man was sent. Not only is man gifted with the tools and, and not only is man's nature such that he is, he is going to exercise dominion, but then when he's created, he's sent, like physically commissioned. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth ...and subdue it and have dominion. Man was sent to reign as stewards... ...or deputies... ...of the invisible God. Okay. Okay. Now, I think that is why Genesis 9... ...doesn't seem like an overreaction. If man is God's physical... ...walking, living, breathing, representative ruler... ...on the earth then taking his life means something significant. Okay? If, if man is the deputy of God in creation, if man has been sent and commissioned to represent God's reign on the earth, then taking his life is something significant. Genesis 9, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. Okay. I think if you, if you take Genesis 1 and you lay it alongside Genesis 9, I think the, the meaning is pretty clear. An act of violence against a man or a woman is an act of violence against God Himself. Because that man or woman was sent, because God sent that man or woman as a deputy, or a steward, or an emissary, or an ambassador, whatever representative language best helps you account for this image commission okay when you cut off that life when you cut off that life you're functionally telling God I don't care what you had purposed for this individual my purposes are greater than yours or if you think about it in ancient civilization ambassadors would be sent to negotiate peace And while that ambassador stood before a foreign king, he would voice for that king all of the wishes of his his royal king, right? So the ambassador is sent on behalf of a king to uh, a foreign king, and while he's standing and speaking to that person, he is representing the will and the wishes of his king. What happens when that foreign king kills that ambassador what happens they go to war because that ambassador was the representative of the king Does that make sense all right let's keep going I want to jump way ahead to James chapter 3 James chapter 3 towards the very end of the Bible James chapter 3. I'm just going to keep saying that until I find it. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Okay. We're going to look at verse 9. Actually, let's start at uh, verse 5 and a half. Um, (laughs) How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members people who are made in the likeness of God. Okay, I'm going to read that again. With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Okay, I want to to draw nearer to this passage because... You could read this and think, I should either be the kind of person who blesses people generally, or I should be the kind of person who curses people generally. It doesn't make sense to do both at the same time. I do not think that this, what this passage is saying. This passage is saying that when you bless God, and then when you curse his deputy, you are speaking out of both sides of your mouth, and that is a restless evil. Does it make sense? Brothers, it must not be so. You, from the same mouth you bless God and you curse His emissary. I'm seeing the same dyna- dynamic in Genesis 3 as we saw in Genesis 9, which is to curse a man or woman is to curse God because He has sent that person as a deputy or a steward or an emissary. And I think the principle here, consistent throughout Scripture, is that we must treat men and women as representatives of God. Now, let me clarify that, because you could take that way too far. Okay, let me clarify that. The respect and the honor and the courtesy which you extend to the office of the king, you should extend to his deputies. Okay, let me repeat that. The respect, the honor, and the courtesy that you extend to the office of the king, you must extend to his deputies. Okay. Now, I just blew through a whole bunch of scripture, all right. And you're you're probably going to have a whole bunch of questions about how this applies to you individually in certain, certain circumstances. There are ways that you could apply this that would be bad. For instance, that does not mean always be happy and glad and nice to people. All right? We're going we're to get into the weeds here, but I, wanna, I want you to see this foundation. We have in Genesis this foundation that man is given a commission. Okay? And, and, and as a representative of God, he will be judged by God. He will be judged by equal to or not equal to the task of representing God, okay? But as soon as God sends an ambassador, that individual ought to be treated with the respect of that office, okay? And then we see the failure to respect that office, either by by cutting off the life of man or by maliciously cursing man, that failure is equal to an act of violence against God himself. Make sense? Okay. So I want to ask the question, how should the image of God change the way we live? All right, how should the image of God change the way we live? I want to give you three broad principles. Okay? And then I want to give you a bunch of helpful tips. All right, three broad principles and a bunch of helpful tips. First, you ought to become a relentless advocate for the lives of image bearers. You must, if, you, if you're a Christ follower, you don't have a choice here, you must become a relentless advocate for the lives of image bearers. Here's what I mean. There is is no such thing as pro-choice. Pro-choice is a ridiculous name for a movement of people who believe that it's okay to kill babies in the womb. And pro-choice implies that when there is a living being that happens to be within my body, it's my choice how I act. Okay? That is is ridiculous. It is a ridiculous notion. As soon as as the image is set, we read Psalm 139 this morning, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, as soon as the image of God is set upon a man or a woman, that man or woman is God's. It's not yours. It's God's. The lives of image bearers belong to God. So, adopt and vote and advocate and give accordingly. Let's tease that out. I'm going to give you a couple ways that you can become an advocate for the lives of the unborn. And uh, and then I'm going to give you a dream scenario. Okay? A couple ways that you can advocate for the lives of the unborn, and then I'm going to give you a a, a dream scenario. One, adopt those sweet little babies. Right now, there are 3,000 children There are 3,000 children waiting to be adopted in foster care. 3,000. There are 2,500 Southern Baptist churches. Are you doing the math now? Okay. Now, uh, one, praise God that there are 3,000. I mentioned these statistics in 2012 when there were 13,000. There's a news article last year about the surge of adoptions in Texas. Praise God. Praise God. There are 3,000 and there are 2,500 Southern Baptist churches. There are, if you want to just go Baptist churches, there's like 7,000 Baptist churches. There's there probably not even a number to account for the number of evangelical churches in Texas, but so they're everywhere. And we're just going to look at our house. If one family in this church adopts, and then one family in every other church adopts, and you account for sibling groups, there's no more orphans. (laughs) Right? I mean, envision it. Envision it. Adopt. Vote. You, look, there's a, a popular line of reasoning that says, not explicitly, but implicitly, we're never going to change Roe v. Wade. So what we should do is we should think about other significant social issues and vote for individuals that would create shifts in the political landscape and maybe advantage In those other social issues, and you're just assuming you, a Christian who were raised from death to life by the miraculous work of Christ, you're just assuming that God can't move that way? Okay, two things. The the fact that our nation has legalized the murder of the unborn for a long time is an obstacle. But God is mighty God. Okay? God is a mighty God. And, and the way our, our government is structured is that your vote, rallied alongside the votes of other like-minded individuals, can change the entire political landscape. So, vote for candidates who are aggressively pursuing the overturn of Roe v. Wade. It's not that the other social issues don't matter. But I think it is that they don't matter as much. Okay? If you have questions or if you're upset about this or you want to talk to me about this, please do. Um, Okay. Advocate. What does it mean to advocate for the lives of the unborn? Um. If you've known Dale for nine minutes, he has mentioned the pe- Pregnancy Health Center. There is, a, there is a, an organization on Camp Bowie, and what they do is they open their doors to anyone who is pregnant, and they appeal. They appeal for that life. They give alternatives to abortion. They, they give uh, sonograms, and they, they, they talk about the majesty and the beauty of the lives of these image bearers and they and they equip these young ladies to with all the tools they need to either make a, a wise choice um to to give a baby up for adoption or make a wise choice to keep that baby and care for it well. Okay? That they need volunteers. Like yesterday <laughs> advocate. We talk all the time. We, like, brainstorm all the time about how to get into our community. How to reach the least of these. How to present the gospel to those who are waiting to hear it. That's a way. That's a great way to do it. And if you want to do it, do it now. Go talk to Dale right after the service. Say, I want to volunteer. I want to advocate for the lives of the unborn. And he will call a person, and they will call you and put you in that office. And just preach the gospel and love on some hurting ladies. Okay? And families. And give. Give. Uh, the Pregnancy Health Center doesn't have much money. There's, that's not the only organization, but it's the one closest to us. So I'm going to pick on the Pregnancy Health Center to say they need help. <laughs> they, need, they need funds. They need funds. And it's not just them, there are families who are willing to adopt, but they're nervous. By the way, just as an aside, adoption through foster care is free. <laughs> it's free. If you go to the DFPS website and you you look up the question, how much does it cost to adopt from foster care, they'll say you need to be able to pay for a TB test, which is like $30, and you need to uh, be able to pay for some sort of inspection or something, and that's like $60. Bucks. It, so... Don't be nervous about money is what I'm saying. But when you choose to adopt, that's a life change. And those families need help. Help them if you have the means. Financially, you guys did it for us. When we adopted, it was amazing. It was a brilliant display of your generosity. Do that more. All right, that's my, these are my ways to advocate for the lives of the unborn. Let me give you my dream scenario okay i think this is possible okay my dream scenario is that foster care is empty <laughs> that foster care is empty and the pregnancy health center is sitting in a brand new building okay a brand new building they got all of the they got multiple sonogram machines and multiple individuals capable of running them and they've got Nice, comfortable rooms where somebody who's hurting and scared can sit down and receive counsel. And they got tons of volunteers just waiting to counsel. And, and you know what that counsel is going to be? This is my dream scenario. That counsel is going to be, there's no more kids in foster care. And I know 12 families in my church who are just waiting to adopt. So don't abort your baby. That is my dream scenario. And that is possible by the might of God. Amen? Amen. Now, there are a lot of other implications to the image of God that relate to your day-to-day. We're going to deal with those now. But don't forget the purpose of this Sunday. And at the end of this sermon, Dale's going to come and lead us in prayer. And we're going to just plead with the Lord for the lives of the unborn. And plead with the Lord for the lives of young kids waiting to be adopted. Okay. Okay. Second principle. This is primarily pulled from James three. Observe how you relate to others. Okay. Now that is not uh, a slap on the wrist. I'm not saying you're relating to others poorly. I'm saying, you're probably not thinking comprehensively about how you relate to others. And you should. I'm asking you to do an audit. At the end of the day, think about what you said, why you said it, how you said it. Here's why. We have a tendency to reduce... People to less than the image of God, and we have a tendency to objectify people. Here's what I mean. When you're on Facebook and talking to a socialist or an LGBTQ advocate or some sort of liberal. Just can't even tag them into a particular category. and just go left. It is simple to reduce that person to less than an image bearer, and to respond accordingly. And you know why I know that it's simple? Because I, I I can only handle two minutes on Facebook anymore. By the way, I, I'm a digital advertiser. I have to be on Facebook. <laughs> And I can't look at Facebook for more than two minutes without being overwhelmed. People are not speaking to one another as representatives of God. They're not. It's terrible. We don't need that obstacle when we're talking to people about the gospel. We don't need that obstacle. Amen. The gospel is obstacle. We don't need to be joking. Reducing people to what they think about things is not okay. That person is an image bearer, and we afford them courtesy and respect. You want to change the nature of the House of Representatives? You want to change the nature of the Senate? You want to change the nature of the executive branch? Elect people who treat others with respect and courtesy and are still willing and able to logically and clearly disagree in a way that nobody can argue. Amen? Let's be the first to model courtesy and respect. Let's be the first. And we shouldn't objectify either. Here's what I mean. We're going to tease this out a little bit later. When you objectify, this is used a lot in terms of women. When we're talking about someone objectifying a woman, we're talking about usually a man who's seeing that woman as a means to an end. But objectification is not limited to men and how they relate to women. We objectify all the time. What is your object? when you're speaking with people. What are you looking for? It's not that you're not going to have people in your life that primarily are transactional relationships. There, there will be people that have no interest in speaking with you and just want to, whatever, finish the checkout in the grocery store or whatever, whatever, um, Send off an email. There will be, there'll be people who are not willing or interested in relationship. But when you start treating individuals as objects to an end, like I need this person to work in this way so that I can achieve that thing, stop. Take a step back. That person is an image bearer. And... What's awaiting them is either an eternity with you, and that would be quite embarrassing if you treated them like an object the whole time, or an eternity in hell, and you don't want to be looking back on your relationship with that person and wondering if you contributed to their hatred of God. Amen? Amen. Observe how you relate to others. Now, if you're relating to others as people, and you're spending time to get to know them, and you're, you're whispering the gospel, you're interweaving the gospel, praise God. Praise God for that. But I bet sometimes you're going to be on the other side. And when you see that, don't despair. Run to Jesus and ask for the Spirit to change your heart. Okay. Finally, and this is very related, respect, honor, honor, Courtesy. Respect, honor, and courtesy. There is no place for malice and slander when speaking with an image bearer. There is no place for malice and slander when speaking with an image bearer. I know that I am going against a popular trend in evangelical America. I don't care You can disagree with someone with such logical force that it shuts their mouth or or turns them into a whiny tyrant. That's permitted. Okay? You can refuse to give them ground that they haven't earned with reason and virtue. That's permitted. But you may not be malicious and you may not slander we honor the office of the king. We don't react to the action of the steward. Make sense? Okay, some broad principles. Here's a few helpful tips. I'm going to hamper on something. I know you guys hear me say this a lot. Just roll your eyes, it's fine. It's fine. It's quite difficult to remember the image when you're only ever seeing 120 characters. Okay? It's quite difficult to remember the image when you're only ever uh, seeing 120 characters. Now, I chose these three words intentionally. Retire social media. I chose these three words intentionally. Because if you're a carpenter, just follow my reasoning, if you're a carpenter... And you're retired, that doesn't mean necessarily that you never make a table. Okay? Doesn't necessarily mean that you never fix something in your home. It doesn't necessarily mean that you, you sell your tools. Okay? But when you retire, you start treating something that was once primary as secondary. See what I mean? See where I'm going? Look, if your primary means to interact with people is, is social media, step back, man. Just I'm not telling you to quit. I have many times told you to quit. I think that's probably my excess. I'm hyperbolic. You guys know that. You've been listening to me for a long time. I'm not telling you to quit. I'm telling you to step back. And if you have a person in your circles with whom you disagree and you're inclined To type something in response to a comment they made, pick up the phone. Call them. Text them. Just just start interacting with that person as a person. There's no algorithm that's going to determine what they hear of what you said. Unless Facebook has really gotten nuanced. (laughs) Okay. So that's number one. Two... We tend to objectify people. I do this a lot. I I sometimes treat people uh, as means to ends, not in a nefarious way. Most of the time, most of the time, I'm just like, you know, hey, how's it going? I just need to pay my bill. Or, hey, how's it going? I'm just going to carry my groceries out to the car. Um, Or if it's a work relationship, hey, how's it going? I just need to look at the numbers, right? I... I have found that one way to fight this instinct is to just surrender yourself to a long conversation. Just ask questions. Just ask questions. Where are you coming from? What do you do? What's your favorite restaurant? What do you do for fun? Speak for a long time. Don't don't have a if none of your conversations in a day last longer than three minutes, you're probably there's probably something wrong. Speak for a long time and listen. i I don't know I know it's simple, but i I have to tell myself to listen. You should probably do too. Just listen. think about the words that are being said, and listen. Don't think about what you're going to say next. You know? It's okay if there's a gap, right? Okay. See, we tend to be transactional. Before starting a conversation, ask yourself, what am I looking for? Simple question. Every time you talk to somebody, what am I looking for? If the answer is nothing, I'm just trying to get out of this place and get about my business. Right? So check you, right? You should, you should stop and think, oh, man, this is, a, this, is a, this is an emissary of God, right? This is an image bearer. I, I don't treat this person like a machine. Oh, man, Gary Trojak. We had uh, a conversation right at the beginning of COVID. I was like, Gary, man, did you know that a lot of these grocery stores, you could just, you could just go online and you just order what you want, and there's no fee for delivery anymore? They're just like, they'll just take it and they'll just like deliver to your house? And I said, why do people even go to the grocery store anymore? And Gary said, to share the gospel? <laughs> Boy, that hurt. Yeah, let's, not, let's be less transactional. For your kids bear the image of God. Your kids bear the image of God. Discipline and engage accordingly. Um, if your words to your children, or others' people children, by the way, other, other others people other peoples other peoples children, if your words to that child. Are less than honorable, less than respectful, less than careful. Check yourself. Check yourself. That's an image bearer. That doesn't mean they're doing everything right, and it doesn't mean that they don't need to be disciplined, but it does mean that we afford them a respect to of the office. I, I, when I first adopted, um, I was talking to Brett on the phone, and one of the girls had gotten in trouble. Um, or I thought that they had got in trouble, but actually I would misunderstood the situ- situation, but I had disciplined. Um, and then I realized after the fact that I was wrong. So I called Brad. I'm like, Brad, what do I do here? He's like, well, you apologize. <laughs> I was like, but what, what if I apologize and it's like giving ground and it's going to create this sort of like weird upside down relationship. He's like, that's a human being. <laughs> when you make when you sin against them, you should apologize. These are image bearers. And treat them accordingly. Okay, and finally, the sick and the elderly bear the image of God. The sick and the elderly bear the image of God. Care accordingly. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm addressing. I think our culture... As soon as someone enters a certain threshold, just dismisses the elderly. Um, actually, we were on the radio yesterday, and there was a whole, uh, uh, um, there's a word that didn't really translate uh, into like this century's English, but used to be. Uh, there was a word that we used a lot, and it was also original to the Greek and, and to the Latin. And that word meant uh, uh, um, basically care for your parents. Reciprocal care for your parents. It was actually illegal in ancient Rome and in ancient Greece. It was illegal not to reciprocate the care of your parents by taking care of them when when you're older. And they're older. Uh, There are a couple... Fronts, that, the, that the sinfulness and the excess of our culture are most brilliantly on display, and I think this is one of them. If, if your gut instinct, as soon as someone enters a certain age range or a certain, um, uh, has a certain number of illnesses, is to put them in a care facility and visit them once a month, I don't know that that treats them as an image bearer. Now, there are situations where you can't help but get help. Right? I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to the gut impulse that says, oh yeah, well that's no problem. Right? If you you hardly ever see the sick among us, if you hardly ever see the elderly among us, perhaps you're not Remembering the image they bear. Okay? Okay. So we're going to take some time now to plead with the Lord for image bearers, on behalf of image bearers. Um, And Dale's going to lead us. um, And I think your homework this week should be to appeal to the Lord every single day. um, That not only image bearers would be preserved and saved and and roe v way would be overturned but also that your own heart would orient towards others as they bear the image amen okay let's pray